transmute my leaden life into pure gold. These are words that are written by Matthew Guete. And actually, these words are pure gold. Transmute my leaden or convert my lead life into gold. He writes this in a piece that he calls the Laetinus Sum. It's basically a musical setting. Uh, th th that title is a musical setting written by comp composer Van Neufel. And it was written for Psalms. It was a setting for Psalms 122, the same psalm that Marcia read just a few minutes ago in our liturgy. He says, transmute my leaden life into pure gold and draw me home to your Jerusalem. Along the golden string I still hold. Since Blake first put it in my hand, the hem of Jesus' garment was enough to start the healing. After that, I followed him and found the holy city of the heart, the true Jerusalem, the city of peace, the peace we ask of that God can only start within his people. For wars will only cease when we refuse to fight. So instead we'll pray. We'll draw the bow of burning gold. Release the arrows of desire that wing their way and quiver in the kingdom. So draw us all beyond the gates of everlasting day. The part I was especially drawn to this week when, when I was reading through this poem by Matthew Guete was this, the hem of Jesus' garment. Think of this, the hem of Jesus' garment being enough to start the healing. This healing that harkens back to the garden, back to God breathing life into creation, breathing life into our very nostrils. Let's pray and then we'll, we'll dig in. Heavenly Father, Son Jesus, and Holy, Holy, Holy Spirit. On this second Sunday of this new Easter season, we ask that you would transform us, you would transfigure us to be Easter people. Easter people who walk out into the world with new eyes, new ears, new hearts, new souls with which to interact with you and all those who we come in contact with. God, may we be the people who implement your ultimate achievement of atonement. God, we pray all these things in your holy name. Amen. All right, so for this first Sunday of Easter... Our lectionary brings us a few verses from the Gospel of John. Uh, if you're following along, we're going to be in John chapter 20. We're going to be in uh, verse 19, where the first 18 verses were just last week's Gospel reading, right? Where, 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 where John records the events of that first Easter Sunday. And so in verse 19, John writes, Therefore, being that day, He's saying this is the same day. This is still Easter Sunday. So we are still in that first Easter Sunday this morning in our, in our text. Therefore, being that day, the first of the week, and the doors having been shuttered where the disciples were 
on account of fear or terror of the Jews. Jesus came and stood in the midst, saying, Eirin Hymen, peace or oneness, quietness, rest to you. And saying this, he showed them both his hands and the side of his body. Then the disciples rejoiced. They hailed him, having seen or experienced the Lord. Therefore, Jesus was saying to them again for the second time, Irene, Hymen, peace to you, oneness, quietness, rest to you. As the Father has sent me forth, I also send you to go. And having said this, he breathed into them. And he said, Labete numa agion. Receive or take hold of the holy, sacred, set apart breath. Receive, take a part of the holy, sacred, set apart spirit. My breath, my spirit, my wind. If any of you sends away, lets go or releases the sins of any, they are sent away. They're released. And if you obtain or take hold of the sins of any, they are obtained and taken hold of. Peace to you. This phrase that I read here in here two different times, and if you continue reading in the story of Thomas, he'll also say this to Thomas. Irene, hi men, peace to you. This word peace is, 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 is one that harkens back to uh, the, the, the scriptural connotation of shalom, right? Of oneness with God, of quietness and, and rest. Peace to you, Jesus says. Because this is where it began. It began in the garden, and this is also where creation is headed, right? And, and it seems like much of our existence is spent searching for this word, this, 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 this peace, this oneness, this quietness, this, this rest. This is why we desire financial freedom, yeah? To give us peace of mind. This is why we, we desire health and, and stability. This is why we're searching all the days asking, why are we here and what is the purpose of, of all of this? And this is what the psalmist was searching for in Psalms 122 that Miss Marcia read a few moments ago. The psalmist was searching for that peace that surpasses all understanding. And so it was the first day of the week. It was that first Easter Sunday. And Jesus' disciples were shuttered in a room. They were huddled in a room. Perhaps it was the same room as that Monday, Thursday Eucharistic celebration. Or perhaps it was a different location. But either way, the doors were shuttered and they were afraid. They were terrified. They were panicked because they thought they might be next. For these friends of Jesus, the ones who were gathered in that room on that first Easter Sunday, there was no peace. There was no quietness. There was no rest in the holy city for them. 
This was the opposite of what the psalmist was saying that he encountered in the city of Jerusalem. Because for these disciples, they'd just seen their leader killed. They'd just seen their Messiah crucified at the hands of the Roman government, and they were wondering if perhaps they were next. When all of a sudden, peace Peace literally breaks in to the room and comes to them. The Prince of Peace, the very human being, God, man who embodied peace comes to them through these shuttered doors and is standing in their midst. You see, God isn't waiting around for them to understand everything that's taken place. God's not waiting for them to get all of their ducks in a row before he brings their peace to them. He's not waiting for them to get it all right before he brings their peace. Even look at Thomas a few verses later. He still brings his peace to Thomas, though Thomas is having a hard time understanding what all this is about. Jesus simply comes in and brings them peace. And he shows them the marks on his hand. And the wound in his side. The Father has sent me, he said, just as I now send you. And then I don't know if you caught this, but breathing into them his very life and atonement, he said, receive my breath. Jesus said, take a hold of my breath that is now becoming that air in your lungs. That's why we talk about the Holy Spirit. See, the word pneuma in, in, in Greek, the same as it is ruach in, in Hebrew, the, same, the word is synonymous, breath and spirit, same thing, same word. And so Jesus is saying, receive my holy breath. Receive my sacred, set-apart spirit. On that first Easter Sunday, as the new creation was being shepherded in, Christ is once again breathing life into the nostrils of his creation. Christ is once again breathing life into these disciples' very being, filling them with his peace, his quietness, his rest, his oneness, his atonement. Atonement is simply at one mint his at-oneness with his creation. But yet this wasn't a peace for a few select people to keep hidden, terrified behind doors. This was a spirit and a peace that was to be breathed into all of creation once again. As the Father has sent me, Jesus says, I am now sending you. The point of the disciples receiving the Holy Spirit. This is something that N.T. Wright says. He says, the point of the disciples receiving the Holy Spirit is so that they can do in and for the whole world what Jesus had been doing all along. Have you ever thought about that before? That when Jesus breathed the Holy Spirit into the nostrils of his disciples... It was so that way they could do in and for the world what Jesus had been doing all along. 
And this is what Christ's disciples have been called to ever since this day. This is how this message and reality of Christ's at one his peace, his salvation, this is why it's had such stain power. Why is it that we are still reading these stories all these years later? Not every story that was written in the first century do we stand up and talk about week after week after week in our churches. Why is it that these stories have such stain power? Because that breath, that peace, that at-oneness with God that the disciples experienced that day changed their very lives. Everything about their existence changed. It changed the very way that they viewed the entire world around them. It changed the way in which they interacted with the divine. It changed the way they interacted with one another. It changed the way that they interacted with everyone who they came in contact with because they were now bringing that peace. They were bringing that oneness into the world, that atonement of God. And then over the years, as others began to encounter this risen Christ through his followers, in the people who called themselves Christian, Christian simply means little Christ. So if Christ breathes into our lungs, we're now the little Christs that come to bring his oneness, his peace, his rest, and his quietness into the world. Breathing. These followers were then breathing back into the world this new creation of resurrection. You see, this is why people like John wrote accounts like this for us to pass down and read. And this is why people like us still wrestle with these mysteries each and every week. This is how John ends this account, this text that the lectionary gives us today. This is a few um, verses later. Uh, this, is, um, this is, we're not doing the Thomas story today. I feel like we do that a lot on the Sunday after Easter, the Doubting Thomas story. Not really a very fair title for him. Maybe we'll talk about that at a different time. Um, but this is how this whole account uh, finishes in John's Gospel, chapter 20, where John writes, Therefore, truly Jesus did many other signs, many other marks, in sight of the disciples of him. These which are not written in the Biblio. Biblio just simply is literally translated as papyrus or paper. We would say book, biblio, guess what word we get from it? Bible. <laughs> this is written in this papyrus. However, these have been written, all that's written here, so that way you may entrust that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that somehow, in trusting, you may have zoe, life, in the name of the Christ. This word zoe in, in the Greek is, is talking about both the present, the physical life that we have, but it also speaks to a spiritual sense, particularly of a future spiritual sense. So this word is kind of combining the, 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 the spiritual and the physical life we have now as well as what we sang in that song, that second song, and, and as I fight life's final war with pain, I'll cross that river, right? This is what this word means, life now, life later. And you see, Zoe, this idea of life is what we are all searching for all the time. Because life in the now, life in the future, life 
all of the ethos of life in the name of Christ is encountering this peace we're talking about today, is encountering this peace of the garden that was originally breathed into our very nostrils and is now being filled once again with the spirit of Christ, that atonement, that at one with its creator. But just as we physically can't just hold our breath without exhaling eventually, we can't do it, right? We cannot, we can try, as long as we want to hold our breath underwater. But eventually we have to exhale that breath back out. The breath of Christ's atonement, the breath of Christ's oneness and peace in the world is also going to be necessitated to be exhaled back into the world. Where then we fill it with that same oneness, that same quietness and rest that Jesus fought the powers of death to bring. Have you ever thought about that before, that the very encounters that we have in this world, if we are breathing as the little Christ, the very breath of Christ, that spirit of Christ back into the world, what does it say about the things that we write or that we type or that we speak or that we do or that we fight for? Is it peace? Is it oneness? Is it quiet? Is it rest? And he Wright continues, he says, the long story of God and Israel has finally reached its climax in Jesus the Christ. Now, the salvation that he has brought to Israel, right? So Jesus is the one bringing the salvation. We're going to talk about this in a second. We're not bringing the salvation. Christ brings the salvation. He brought it to Israel. Now is to come from these Jewish men and women, but it's out to the wider world. And it's his disciples that are to start the process of taking it there. You see, Christ Jesus has achieved the forgiveness of sins. Amen and amen. Christ Jesus has achieved the bringing about of this new newness that we talked about last week, this oneness with creation. Christ Jesus has already achieved the breathing of his spirit and his peace to enter in through his name. It's all done in the name of Jesus Christ, lest we boast. So we don't have to achieve that all over again. That's good news. We don't have to achieve all that over again for the sake of his, the world, but yet as disciples, we are, these first disciples in that upper room, they are a prototype for us in our own discipleship and how it is that we help to implement Christ's achievement, right? Breathing out the compassion, the forgiveness, the humility and justice of its creator. Just as a songwriter or a composer achieves brilliance and puts it onto paper, it's the orchestra, it's the band, it's the symphony that then implements this composer's or the songwriter's genius or an architect achieves a magnificent plan designing a building. But then it's going to be skilled craftspeople, right? We're going to implement the achievements of this architect. That's what we are doing here. We are implementing the architect's plan of salvation for the world. 
And so this is what we're going to dig into for these remaining four weeks of Easter. The Easter season's six weeks long. Last week, this week. The next four weeks, we're going to look at four ways that we can breathe this atonement of God, this at-one-ness with God from our souls. Right? We're going to drink so deeply in the crucified love of Christ that then it just overflows. Right? It overflows out into the world. We're going to look at compassion one week. We're going to look at forgiveness another week. Humility the third week. And then finally, we're going to look at justice before we get to Jesus' ascension and eventually Pentecost Sunday. My friends, what we breathe into the world is important. When we call ourselves little Christs, it is then us that Christ is saying, go forth. Just as the Father has sent me, I now send you to breathe my spirit of compassion, humility, forgiveness, and justice back into the world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Son, Jesus, and Holy, Holy, Holy Spirit, we know that apart from the breath of your spirit, the wind of your spirit, we cannot achieve any of this. But Father, with your spirit, we can help you implement your peace. Co-laboring with you and the Christ slowly bringing this new newness to creation. We pray all of these things in your name, Jesus' name who taught us to pray, our Father who art in the heavens, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts just as we forgive those who are indebted to us. Lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.